Hi, welcome to Jot Notes, a show where we dive into the world of books and the lives of authors. My name is Jenna Green and I'm a YA fantasy author, author of the Imagine series and the Reborn Mark series. Joining me is Miranda O, oh, our producer and co-host. She is a contemporary chiclet author, author of the Chin Up Tits Out series, and she is the privilege and honor of introducing our fabulous guest for today. Hi, Miranda. Hi, hi, hi. I am thrilled to be back this evening. Jenna and I got a double whammy for you today. Um, and and we're, we're, we're kind of switching the gears, but kind of not. We are introducing our guest today, uh, a woman very dear to our hearts, W.L. Hawking. She writes edgy urban fantasy with a twist of murder. Now, from her loft near Vancouver, B.C., I'm from like Winnipeg and we are still under a lot of snow. And so I'm a wee bit jealous of her climate, but her books or her novels actually include to charm a killer, to sleep with stones, to render a raven and to kill a king. Now, each of those are standalone, but from the Holly Stone mystery series and her latest release, which we'll talk about today is titled Lur. So please join me in welcoming our guest today. Hi. Hi, Miranda and Jenna. It's nice to be back. Oh, it's wonderful to have you back. Like I said, you're dear to our hearts. Always our conversations warm and fill our hearts and, and also intrigue us because you have this perspective to your writing, which we're really excited to get into and how you go about it. But um, so we're really excited to have you on our show again. Now, I'm intrigued. While we were doing research for our show, um, you we, we we discovered that you're you're interested and intrigued by language and archaeology and mythology. Like that's a lot of ease, mm-hmm. but a lot of cool things. So, um, what kind of like what interests you? How did you get into these subjects? Oh my gosh, how did I get into them? I I've just always I've been always into them. Um, I, you know, I, this comes from many many years ago. And for sure, mythology, I, I fell in love with Joseph Campbell in 1990. But it comes from way back before then when I was a kid. And, you know, on, I used to grow up watching um, movies like Jason and the Arconauts. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, those real old ones with the crazy monsters and everything. And all the Greek, the Greek things. And then the, the Christian movies, which, which had the whole, you know, um, biblical theme to them. And, and I just grew up with all that. And I love it. It's... Um, I think because of the archetypes, because I just, I just get it. And uh, yeah, then I found Joseph Campbell and I was hooked on him. Comparative mythology. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like that. Okay, so and and I have this. I have a personal inkling with when it comes to your language. Um, my kid just turned one. Um, her dad is Nigerian and is fluent in Russian and also his his oh. um tribal language as well. Um, and he speaks Ukrainian, which I'm Ukrainian and don't speak Ukrainian, but hey, that's here nor there. But we also have a French immersion school in our community. And we always have this conversation about like how to teach our kid more languages and how to immerse into languages. So we're like, are you fluent in multiple languages? Like what attracts you to languages more than I do? Because like, no, I can speak Spanish and ask for a, a, a beer. And that's about the length of yeah. my 
second language. Yeah, no, I'm not at all. I, you know, I'm from Ontario. And so, you know, I grew up with English and, and then we were forced to take French. <laughs> so, right. from, you know, from grade three to about grade nine. And it was, you know, the French teacher came in with the bulletin board and it was Listilo and Le Crayon and all that sort of stuff. So I can do a little bit of um, cereal box French, yeah. you know, on a good day. Um, I can sort of understand a little bit, but not much. I really like Spanish, but I can't really do anything with that either. My, my interest in language is really based around English. I just like English words and how you put them together to make beautiful pieces out of them, you know? You know what? I, I, I agree with you. Like there's a lot to the English language that makes it extremely difficult, but it makes it eloquent in a way that you can string different words together and they have a, like a very deep meaning to it or a very different perspective to it. Um, so it does that, that I, I can resonate with that mm -hmm. now. You describe yourself as an intuitive writer, so mm -hmm. use of a very functional, lovely word. Can you describe to us what you mean by that? I can. It is it is my um, response to being called a pantser uh, because <laughs> I really, really hate that term. I just think it's like an ugly term, mm -hmm. and and I and first of all, the word is not not an, a pretty, not a pretty word, and uh, it's just not. And, and, it, and, it, and it connotates for me somebody who's like has no idea what they're doing and no control. And, and that's not at all where I come from. So as an intuitive writer, I'm really digging into my muses. So I get into a kind of a meditative space and I like open up to all my spirits and all my characters and they talk to me and I, and I work from there. So I don't outline particularly. Um, I just kind of write it as it comes. Yeah. And That's Miranda like, to a T. I, yeah, I was just about to say thank yeah. you, Jenna, because we had just we just finished a podcast with a, another fantasy author, and he has he he was saying that like okay like if people in fantasy or authors or storytellers in fantasy have to in his mind they have to have a beginning and an ending, and Jenna was like oh yeah like I kind of like do that too, and I'm sitting there I'm like I don't think I do that at all. Like I know. <laughs> what my characters are like. I kind of know what topics I want to write about, but like I, I get into that meditative state sometimes with the mm -hmm. help of a glass of wine um, and some good music. And I tune out the world and just let it flow how it's going to flow. So mm -hmm. I cannot resonate with you more, mm -hmm. but then on the flip side, it just goes to show you like you can you can write a story anyway, and it can still be successful. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, whatever I, works I, I love for it. you. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I know people that are uh, so like they write the outline and and they stick very rigidly to the outline, you know. And I've and I've said, you know, what if, what if your character does something that you don't expect? Oh no, that's not allowed. Like, what? <laughs> oh, my characters never listen. They're parent little, they're feral pterodactyls that don't. Uh, they never listen. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I love it when my characters do something that I have no idea it's going to happen. And I think, like, for me, like, that, that raw emotion comes through when, so, you know, say somebody like I had a couple of characters that actually died and I didn't know they were going to die. 
And, and I was like, what? And, and, you know, cried through the whole time I was writing it on the computer. And that, I think that raw emotion translates, Mm -hmm. you know, I think it's just a really beautiful thing that happens when you, when you allow them to do what they need to do. Yeah. Yeah. I can't agree with you more. And, you know, something that came up last time we were chatting um, or the previous time, previous podcast, oh my goodness, get your words out, was that um, I had I had asked our guest if he was going through grief and loss because he was writing about grief and loss. And, mm-hmm. I, and, I, and I take that as from an intuitive point of view that I tend to draw from what I'm going through personally. So is that something that you take with with your intuition and writing is that when you are going through some sort of something xyz is that translating in your stories she's that's a really good question and i don't really i don't know if i know the answer to that question you know my, my yeah i don't i think you might have stumped me here <laughs> Ruben, no i don't know yeah <laughs> don't know. It, you know it resonated with me because for me when i was going through my drama trauma whatever um it just turned out to be such good book material and maybe when I was going through the heat of it I wasn't prepared to write about it or even Mm -hmm. reflect on it Mm -hmm. but then when I was I moved forward through life and I got to a point where I I have a story to tell then everything that I was going through ended up going into and translating into the books the big feelings that I was feeling translated into my characters and so I I like to ask that question especially Mm -hmm. I mean you're writing fantasy with a little bit of murder so it's not like um you're living in a murder mystery every day but again your characters right hopefully not but your characters are still feeling big feelings and you know just curiosity Mm -hmm. like if if those big feelings are matching your big feelings or if you're just drawing from the outside spirits, as you say, and letting them kind of guide you during your story. Mm. Well, definitely when I was writing the Holly Stone Mysteries, I was teaching English full time and and I was super stressed out. And so I was looking for their their freedom, um, their freedom to party and have a really great, <laughs> have a really great time. And, you know, they did all their, their witchcraft things and all that. So I can see that there. Lore is a little bit different. That's the new one that I just got out now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if you know this at, at all, but I actually wrote Lore, The Bones of It, 30 years ago. So, yeah, yeah. So I guess in, in a way, because I was, I was leaving my ex-husband at the time I was writing it. And okay. so, and it's a romance. Ah, <laughs> oh, okay, so, okay. So my kind of desire for freedom and romance, I think, has has translated into that, into that book. So now walking away from it 30 years ago and then choosing to pick it back up now, what was the catalyst to pick it back up now? You know what? I just found the manuscript. I was like doing a Marie Kondo thing because I move, I've been moving around and, um, and I, and I found it all wrapped up in brown paper and I was like, oh, wow, uh, I should read that because it's been sealed, sealed. For like, oh, and it's come on all the moves with me. And so I read it and I'm like, oh my God, it's a romance. It's actually kind of interesting. And uh, yeah, so I, um, I thought maybe I'll just rewrite it. And I, and I started to rewrite it pretty, pretty close. I started out, yeah, pretty close to what it was, kind of flipping the pages and typing them up. And then everything just went, you know, out the window because the woman found 
a skeletal hand in her shed. And that was not in them (laughs) as they do. And yeah, yeah. Okay, they say that when you write a book, you should get some distance from it for like before you edit. Like, they usually say like three months. I don't, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure, in the thirty years. That's that's awesome. It worked. I think it worked. I, I'm really happy with it. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome, though, Jenna. That gives you hope that you know some of the things that may see the light of day, as you said before, is that like you may pick it up like twenty years down the road and say, hey, like. I had something here. Let's see if I can retackle it um, mm-hmm. with a more mature, more experienced, more life, you know, just more of everything. This is and- why I saved all the stories I wrote when I was 10, because someday they'll be gold. <laughs> hey, you don't know. You really you don't, don't know. know. I think you should save everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I tend to. And, and yeah. that's the thing, because something, you know, you might be starting to write something and you're like, eh, I'm just not feeling it. You put it aside. But then. 30 years later, like I am feeling it or, oh, I have a new idea for this. And it's okay to jump projects. I mean, eventually you have to finish one, but it's okay to write a bit of this and then be like, "Eh, it's not the right time or I'm not, I'm not experienced enough as a writer for it or or whatever it is. It's okay to have some things in a drawer, some things out for print and publication. And that's all part of the journey. I'm sure painters don't every stroke that they make on the canvas is not something genius. that they put in the show, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. For sure. Really right. Yeah. Okay. So I have one last question before I'm going to pass the torch to Jenna. Um, so you love to travel, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. How has travel influenced your writing? Ah, well, I have been to everywhere I've written about. So yeah, I always set my uh, my stories into into places where I have walked on the on the land. Yeah, and um, and this one's no different. So in in my Hollystone mystery series, um, the first one is in uh, Ireland. Uh, the last half of it's in Ireland, and I and I went there for that. And then the second one is in Scotland, and I went there for that. It's a good excuse to travel, you know. Of course, <laughs> the good write off too. Right? Yeah, yeah. The third <laughs> the third one is is in a yacht going up the BC coast, and and I've been up there a fair bit because I was a lighthouse keeper for a while, and um, so yeah, so a lot of what they see in the third book, I saw as a as a lighthouse keeper. And then, and then the fourth one, it's a time travel. So I didn't completely go there, but it, but it's, um, it's, it's uh, Iron Age Ireland again. So I did go back to Ireland and went to the hill where the king is inaugurated and executed and ritually murdered. Um, so I stood on the top of that hill where he and looked out at his lands and everything. And that's really important. Yeah. And then with Lure, Lure is actually set in Minnesota. It's pretty okay. close to you guys. Yep. Yeah. yeah, just a little um, south, like seven hours ish. Yeah, not not too far. Yeah. And um, and I came from Ontario, so when I when I drove out west, I I li- I actually went through uh, Sault Ste. Marie. Yeah, and and uh, traveled through there, and and I just love that country, and it's on mm-hmm. a Chippewa reservation. Yeah. So I had studied with uh, the Anishinaabe people in Ontario, cool. and and that was I was doing that at the time thirty years ago that I was writing this book. So there's a lot of Anishinaabe spirituality in it as well. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. I like that. Yeah. Well, I didn't stump you on that question. So no, that no. Travel, 
No, thing. but now we have to have a separate podcast about lighthouse keepers. Oh my god, I know. Thank you. I was like, I'm like, I just watched River Dance on Netflix, and they were lighthouse keepers, and it just made me so happy. River Dance so lighthouse keepers. I'm what? Yeah, right. Am I? Am I? Am I thinking of the right movie? Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, maybe I'm not. River Dance <laughs> is those Irish dancers, right? Yes. Yes, and they were lighthouse and, keepers, and the grandpa was a lighthouse keeper. Oh, okay, okay, okay. And then it was his grandson to like legacy with the lighthouse. We oh. lost it, but then we found you again, Miranda. It's all good. Thank you. Oh my okay. gosh! Like if the marbles aren't in my mouth, I've lost them. They're gone. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's cool. That's cool. I actually, just quickly, I, the the book I just am finishing right now is set at one of the lighthouses that I worked at. Uh, yeah, and it's called the lighthouse, and so we will have that conversation one day. There you is go. It, is it as eerie and creepy as I would think? Like a lighthouse in the middle of nowhere, all by yourself, with big ocean waves. Like, is it like like that? Can be. Can be. Like, do you see yeah. mermaids? <laughs> of course. You see, you see orcas, and you see humpbacks, and white-sided dolphins. Oh yeah, I've gosh. seen, I've seen all of that. Um, and some of them are haunted. And a friend of mine was just down who's been a keeper for 15 years. And she was telling me about some of the ghosts that she's seen out, out on the lights. And yeah. So it's kind of interesting because the girl in this, this story um, sees spirits. So and just a really, really quick story. So what the, one of the reasons I decided to set it at Nootka was because um, I was there one night and, and the, the keeper's I, there's always two of you. So I'd be in my house and then there would be another, I always with, with a man and he'd be in the other house. And they always said to me, you don't have to do anything else except the weather reports, which we do every three hours. Um, don't worry about any of the landscaping or cutting the lawn or any of that stuff. As long as you get up and do the early morning ones. So I would have to get up at three or four in the morning, depending on when daylight savings was. I know, right? And so I was going to bed at 7.30 at night so that I could wake up at 3 in the morning and not miss right. the weather. Right. And so one night I was, and I was right on, now Nooka Lighthouse, my, my house was on a rock, literally hanging off the Pacific Ocean, okay? Oh my <laughs> that, God. That's, that's how it was. And, um, and I was in my bed one night and I had just read all of this uh, stuff about this massacre that, that, had, like, that happened out there with with McQuinna and the, the Moachat people and, and the English, a British ship that had come in. And um, there was so many people like died out there. There's a cemetery out there and it's very interesting. And all of a sudden my bed started to do this, right? And I'm holding on to my bed and it's going like this. And so the first thing I did is I got up and I looked at the bed and I was like, okay guys, stop it. <laughs> I was really sure it was spirits. Oh, yeah. And, and then I heard like, yeah, hi, we just had an uh, earthquake here. It's like 6.4. Uh, anybody feel it down the coast? And I was like, oh, my God, it's actually an earthquake. It's a natural event. It's not a supernatural event. Yeah. That would have been me. Yeah. I'd have been like, okay, I I learned about you. I respect you. I am in your space. <laughs> that yeah. would have been 100% my go-to. And Miranda's positive. a pretty new mom. She'd have the finger wag. Oh, yeah, yeah. yes, I got that down pat. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I said, okay, I really have to use this as a setting. And uh, yeah. yeah, 
Oh, so I'm you glad go. you did. I'm excited. Okay, I can't wait to have a lighthouse conversation. Okay, we can send it <laughs> back to Lur okay. where our attention deserves right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I mean, you talked about putting this manuscript or finding this manuscript from before, and also you've written plenty of books. So what is something either you wished you would know when you first started writing or what is something you've learned along the way um, about writing in, in general or, or your own process? Hmm. That is another stumpy question. <laughs> I don't have any back pocket answers for these things. Something I've learned. <laughs> you know what? I think I would have, I would have maybe tried to take writing a little bit more serious, a little bit earlier than when I did. And, and I would have waited. So when I, when I per- first put out to charm a killer, I would, I put it out quite a while ago. And I just, I was just like, I wrote this book. I just want to put it out there. So, you know, I just self published it. And, and I think I would have tried harder, um, tried to tried harder to get a deal, maybe waited on things a little bit more. I'm not as um, quick to act now as as I have been. So I'll hang on to something a little bit longer. 30 years is, is a good <laughs> That's a good record. example of that. That is a record. Yeah. Until she finds something from 40 years ago and she's like, I beat my own record. No, oh, that's a possibility too. <laughs> I could yeah. almost do that. I have some stuff from first grade. Wow. So give it a few years. <laughs> and I tell you, first graders are good writers. They are. There does yeah. not have to be a plot. There's not have to be a Imaginative. <laughs> Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what to, to you, if you had to define a good story, what makes a good story to you? Hmm. Well, I think I something that's gripping, first of all, you know, that's that's going to catch me and that has something like personally, I would have to have something that I'm interested in. So, I mean, I can get gripped by a good cowboy story, you know. 1883, Yellowstone. Ah! <laughs> right? Oh, Elsa was my spirit animal in 1883. You know what? When season two comes out, I'm gonna have you're gonna have to be the person that I text through the whole episode. Oh, it's so crazy. There was nobody around to talk to when I was watching those episodes. The people are like, What are you doing? Why are you watching that? I'm like, because it is grip, it, it was poetic. Taylor, I'm a little bit in love with Taylor Sheridan. I'm going to have to admit that right now. I just, he is the most incredible writer. And I'm a little bit in love with Tim McGraw. Oh, my God. (laughs) Can he be my dad just for like a day in the wild, wild west? Just the the relationship. So, so again, back to your question. So what, (laughs) like, like, let's use that as an example. I mean, what he does in that, in that show is he rips our heartstrings out I mean, he just, he keeps us just on the edge of our chair Mm. and it's slow. It's a slow moving show. There's no like Mm. big sensational stuff there, but it's like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Settlers travel across America for 10 episodes. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But every episode you're just like nail biting or bawling. The last episode, I, my partner came home. I said, don't come downstairs. He goes, why? I'm like, because you do not want to see what I look like right now. I know. I'm just excited you guys get to watch adult shows because I watch a lot of Paw Patrol, PJ Masks, Avenue of the Chipmunks. (laughs) 
much trolling. Oh, I'm looking forward to those days, but I, I feel like I might just set up like a like a iPad and like don't touch it. You can watch what you want on it. When mom watches TV, you can watch your it doesn't TV. Doesn't matter. You still hear about it. That's why I know about cat bird and lady noir or something. Who knows? It stays with you. You're Wait, just do you do you guys know Dave and Ava? No. Oh, go to YouTube and look up Dave and Ava for your little girl. You've got a little one that's one, right? Yeah. Like our baby. I'm, I'm My grandson is living with me now. And like whenever we need him to just like calm down and focus, we put on Dave and Ava. And he's in love with Ava. And Whoa. it's so cute. It's so cute. So check that out. Yeah, I'll have to. I have my 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 I have a few subscriptions to YouTube channels that are, are appeal to kids. There's one that's always live and this girl she sings songs and does sign language and works oh, okay. on colors and words and this and that. And my kid has like a four minute attention span to something on TV and then we'll just run laps in the house and scream because she's so excited for what God knows what reason. I'm like, you know what? That's cool. I put it on to keep you occupied, but it doesn't work. So do you know the one thing about kids shows though, that they do well, and this is going to segue into my next question. I okay. have is they do conflict really well. Like they well, might present yes. it and resolve it really quick, but they do conflict really well. And they, they offer a variety of conflict mm -hmm. in that sometimes it's the villain as you know, like sometimes it's just literally the, you know, Ninja Turtles versus Shredder, but sometimes it's conflict within the group or there's mm -hmm. conflict with nature. And so, you know, even though we're kind of complaining as moms and grandmas here about, you know, Coca Melon or whatever, but you know, we could take some life lessons from how they have a variety of conflict. So then my, you know, we're running out of time, but I'd like your perspective on, on, on conflict in your books. How do you handle it? How do you make sure you have enough, but also like it affects the pacing of a mm -hmm. book. As well. mm -hmm. You can't just have like murder, 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 murder. No, so, no. And do I don't, I mean, I'm for Laura, the, the conflict, there's, there's a lot of internal conflict that goes on with the characters, you know, this is a this is a romantic suspense novel, by the way. Um, it's it's not urban fantasy anymore. It's it's actual just you know two people out in the middle of the Chippewa reservation, and and she is a vegan uh, wildlife photographer, and he is a doctor that is hiding out in a cave because his wife died and he feels guilty about it. And so they have so much internal conflict there that that um, when they kind of do the meet cute and they come together. He's shooting. She's she's looking and her camera lands at this beautiful buck that she's filming and he shoots it with an arrow. And yeah. And she watches this whole thing. Well, you know, so she's livid. And then then he makes a really big mistake by putting a venison roast on her porch. So <laughs> to try and make up. But, you know, and, and anyway, so there's that. And then there's also conflict going on um, with some other characters that that come into it. Because it's romantic suspense, so there's a romance, but there's also a mystery uh, line going on okay. with with this body, um, who is a missing Indigenous girl, who, mm. yeah, and so there's the there's the story. Her story is interwoven through wow. through it as well. So there's conflict in there, and like I think that conflict needs to be in every scene. Yeah. Um, otherwise, we're, we get bored. So, but it could be internal conflict. It could be yes. external conflict. Absolutely. Right. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Totally. I remember yeah. being like, I don't know, 11, 
when the first Jurassic Park movie came out. And I remember reading a review and it talked about how they really had a variety of conflict. Like first it was like people say, you know, interpersonal conflict. Like, should you be having a dinosaur park? Shouldn't we? And then, you know, the dinosaurs are our, and then also like other things like trees and fences. And, mm-hmm. you know, they had an, uh, probably the first time in my life I read a movie review, but I was just so excited to see it. But the idea that you had all these different conflicts and there's constant conflicts, con- there's constant conflict in that movie, but it's always, slightly different so that yeah. it's not just dinosaur 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 it's right. also adults that are running off and the kids are like hey and you know uh why you why you iron up my woman like all sorts of conflict in there so it, it's probably why it's it, it's probably one of my favorite movies just because I, I agree it's a classic i mean yeah. i watch it every once in a while just because it's cool and right you know i don't know about the other ones so much but that first one um, with Sam Neill and mm-hmm. Laura Linney. Laura Linney. Is it Laura Linney? Yeah. Um, I so. Yeah, I think so. Because she's just amazing. Um, it's just great. And the kids, the little kids. And yeah, because he's got, Sam Neill's got that that conflict around, you know, he doesn't really dig little kids. Mm-hmm. And she kind of wants him to dig little kids. And <laughs> so you, you throw me with the kids. That's the right the kids. Yeah. You don't want kids? Uh, yeah, and I think that <laughs> yeah. was a change they made from the original book, right? Yeah, there are yeah. things that work on books that don't work on on film, and so or yeah. you have to tell a story a lot quicker in films. So, um, it's a good lesson to learn how to have a variety of conflict and and throw all that in. So that's a it's a great note to end on. Mm-hmm. We'll uh, like start with we'll end with conflict. <laughs> <laughs> So now we have definitely intrigued everyone that's listening and everyone that's watching. They want to pick up all your books and they want to stay in touch with you because they know what's coming in the future. So I know. (laughs) So where can you got to find find this book and your books? Yes. (laughs) Um, To my website, which is right here, bluehavenpress.com. And that will lead you to wherever you need to go. Laura, Laura did just with Amazon this time. I just decided to try that out. And um, yeah, so it's there. And all the others you can find all over the place. Beautiful. Yeah. We'll make sure to include the link in the podcast when we do upload it after this live. Thank so you. thank you so much for joining us today. It was a wonderful, intriguing conversation as it always, always. is. Yes. And literally cannot wait till the next time I'm going to watch River Dance in preparation. And I think there's like a scary lighthouse movie that I recently watched too. I just, yeah, but I'm the one that has to do the podcast description for this. We talked about kids shows and lighthouses <laughs> and River Dance and <laughs> Scotland. And so, you know, but yeah. other than that, other than that tour that I got to do after this is fantastic. So it thank was you great. Thank you so much. So, so much. Thank you. Thanks. Just before we go, uh, we need to send a big thank you to our show sponsors. So thank you to Creative Edge Publicity and the Writer's Corner Network. And of course, all our viewers and all our listeners, you're the reason uh, why this show is a success and why we do it. So thanks for tuning in. Bye. Bye.